Hello, it's David here, and thank you for listening to The Leader. You can subscribe to us by hitting the button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss out on our daily news, opinion and analysis. Give us a rating wherever you can too. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. It's furlough but not as we know it. It is a furlough 2.0, but it's extremely limited in its scope. It's only for hospitality businesses that are having to close down because of very, very severe local lockdowns. The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prynne explains the Chancellor's New Deal and why Eat Out to Help Out wasn't the cash injection the government hoped it would be. And... Is it time to let the fans back into football? The Evening Standard launches a campaign. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, when is Farlow not Farlow? This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reid, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> The coronavirus furlough scheme has kept jobs and businesses alive throughout this pandemic. It's coming to an end, but COVID-19 is still here. And companies, especially our hospitality ones, still face restrictions like 10pm curfews on pubs and restaurants. The government has always refused to extend the furlough deadline. It announced the less generous job support scheme to replace it. But with some parts of England now facing even further lockdown rules, pub closures have apparently not been ruled out. The Chancellor is partially relenting. It's not the nationwide furlough we've seen so far, but our editorial column says at least it's something. A new furlough scheme for areas affected by local lockdowns paying two-thirds of workers' wages and businesses forced to close is expected from Chancellor Rishi Sunak. It's an essential step that will keep some afloat, but probably not enough to help others with accumulated debts survive. That's worrying on a day when official figures show economic growth in August slowing to 2.1%, and when the threat of lockdown restrictions hangs over the city too. 
Mr Sunak has done well so far, but must be ready to give further assistance to keep businesses going. Our consumer business editor Jonathan Prynne is with me. Jonathan, it's kind of like furlough being introduced, but I thought the Chancellor had been pretty clear the scheme couldn't continue. Yes, very much so. They've been very adamant that there won't be an extension of the national furlough scheme, but I think also recognising that the new wave of local restrictions, which particularly hit the hospitality sector, are are proving extremely difficult for um, businesses, small businesses in particular, in, in the sort of in the restaurant, bar, club, pub sectors. So what they're what they're saying is that uh, businesses in areas with new very tough restrictions on trading uh, for those sorts of companies, they will pay up to two thirds of salary while they are closed down. So it's a kind of it's a kind of it is a furlough two point zero, but it's extremely limited in its scope. It's only for hospitality businesses that are, that are having to close down because of very very severe local lockdowns, and that that doesn't affect London yet, but it may do. So this will not be the kind of nationwide furlough scheme. This isn't the sort of thing that's going to help self-employed people, for example. There's going to be no help along those lines outside of any areas. No, it, exactly. It, I mean, he's already announced the, the winter help program, which is a much has been generally seen as much less helpful than the than the the general furlough. Uh, I mean, the initial furlough, I think, was seen as one of the few really really big success stories of the government's handling of the whole pandemic it certainly saved many millions of jobs um during the 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 full lockdown um and gave confidence to employers and employees but it ends soon and everyone is rather waiting in trepidation to see what happens when it does come to an end on the 31st of october uh but this very limited sort of son of furlough scheme is is for one sector and in only in very limited geographical parts of the country. Outside of furlough, one of the, the Chancellor's other big schemes was Eat Out to Help Out, and that was supposed to get our economy through this. But we're starting to see signs now that it didn't quite have the impact that the government was hoping. GDP is up, but kind of barely, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, these are really, really worrying figures. I mean, August should have been a really strong month. Uh, the city, the city forecasters were penciling in four and a half, five percent growth. Um, the continuation of the of the steady or, or strong growth seen in June and July, bouncing back from the depths of the of the incredible fall in 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 output in in April. But it only came at, in at two point one percent, less than half what people have been hoping for. Um, and th- th- this is a real worry because August, as you say, should have been a strong month. We had the eat out to help out. We had also the staycation boom meant that uh, hotels had a had a bumper summer. And if you put if you put the restaurant sector and the hotel sector together, they account for uh, more than half of this 2.1 percent growth that we saw in August. So in other words, the rest of the economy was barely growing. Uh, and I think that will alarm people uh, alarm the chancellor and and people in the bank of england and the treasury because we're going into the autumn without the boost from eat out to help out but and with a load of new restrictions which points to a very very tough winter for the economy Um, some forecasters are even now beginning to talk about a return to recession later on where's the turnaround 
going to come from, Jonathan? What could it be? When could we see it? Well, that's such a good question. I mean, the the sort of turnaround time keeps getting pushed a season out, doesn't it? It was going to be summer, then it was going to be autumn. Uh, already beginning to hear the first sort of suggestions it won't be spring, it'll be next summer. We, we know that the government expects the new round of restrictions to be in place for, for six months. Um, so that takes us up to March. We also know that their record on forecasting a return to normality is utterly dire. So uh, as, the, as the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, said uh, a couple of days ago, the risks are all on the downside, which is kind of economists speak for it's much more likely to get worse than better than what we expect. Next. To my knowledge, where there have been test events, there has been no evidence that has come out yet that has said as a direct result of that person attending that football match, there has been X more cases of coronavirus in the community. Mark Weber from FC Business Magazine on why football needs to let the crowds back in. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Evening Standards launched a campaign to get sports fans back in stadiums. Backed by England and Arsenal football legend Ian Wright, it comes as our investigation reveals London alone has lost close to £1 billion because the spending power of thousands of fans on football match days has vanished. Meanwhile, technology bosses tell us crowds of around 30% capacity could return safely with systems monitoring and controlling them. You can read more on that, including Ian Wright's own thoughts, in the newspaper or at standard.co.uk. With me now is football journalist Mark Weber from FC Business Magazine and BBC's Final Score, with whom he's one of the very few people to actually be going to games inside those empty stadiums. Mark, without those crowds, is football still football? No, it's pretty soulless, to be honest with you. I was reporting on Hull City in League One the other day at the KC Stadium in Hull. Uh, you'd normally get about eight or 9,000 going to that game. It was empty. And because the press box is so high up in the stadium, literally you could not hear any sound or li- as little sound as possible from the playing surface compared to when there's a lot of Hull fans in there and you know that fans are in there. And it just felt like I was watching a game in silence, like somebody was playing football in the library. The thing is, though, Mark, this is costing football clubs money, isn't it? From the big ones all the way down to the bottom leagues. Some of them are in a pretty serious financial situation, aren't they? Absolutely. Look, especially for football league clubs, the 72 clubs that are in that league and and the national league clubs just below them, uh, where the the ticket money is their bread and butter. Um, it will probably count when you're talking League 1 and League 2 for about 60 to 70% of their overall revenue. Complete reverse of the Premier League. Most of the money is TV money, of course. But uh, uh, at all levels, uh, you know, you cannot sustain 
um, football without fans, especially in the League One and League Two levels. The likes of Leighton Orient and Northampton, the two clubs that I know I've spoken to about their finances, and you know they are uh, doing the best that they can, but they know that if there's a continual loss of what would be millions of pounds of revenue into their bank accounts every month. Uh, they will need to look for some sort of financial support if this continues beyond Christmas uh, to keep them going. I mean, there is the alternative that people can watch their streams on uh, video and online video, of course, and pay for that. A lot of fans are doing that, but it is still not meeting the sort of ticket sales that you would normally get uh, on a continual basis and season ticket revenue guarantee, certainly. Now, Mark, you're a football journalist, not a doctor, but would you feel safe going back to a football stadium of any size with huge crowds around you and not feel there's a risk of getting coronavirus here? Absolutely. Uh, Two reasons for saying it. I was at the test event that they held before they suspended them at Norwich a couple of weeks ago where they allowed a thousand people into Carrow Road to watch that game. Everybody was socially distanced in their bubble. Uh, I watched the process go through about how people were handled, temperature checks for all spectators, staggered arrival times. And I saw nothing in that process which I felt would enhance the risk of me and, and, and those other people getting coronavirus. And to my knowledge, where there have been test events, there has been no evidence that has come out yet that has said as a direct result of that person attending that football match, there has been X more cases of coronavirus in the community. And the other thing I'd point is even at the lower end of football, of course, there are uh, non-league teams like your Claptons and your Hampton and Richmond Boroughs who are allowed people in to watch games. And some of them are knocking up towards 300, 400 attendants. And that process continues. And again, is that directly responsible? So I, I don't really point to my personal experience. I absolutely feel safe. And I think everybody in football has done their best to adhere to protocols. I point to real experience that is in the, and, and data that is in the hand of the government right now through test events and the ongoing attendances at non-league football. And putting, you know, the financial concerns aside, after all the entire country has been through with lockdown, not being able to see people, all those times, all those months over the summer we all spent in our houses, would it just be quite simply a nice thing for people to go to a football game again, a normal thing? You can't underestimate the power of uh, towards your mental health and towards you as a person of going to see a football match, being entertained, meeting up or seeing friends, even if you're at a social distance with them and having that experience of the joy of a goal going in or the the misery of it not going in. Um, That is my biggest worry at the moment with the attitudes that the government is taking towards not allowing fans in. Uh, Football hasn't been allowed to send fans back on a major scale in the Premier League and the Football Leagues for a while now, yet the number of coronavirus cases has gone up and down. So in other words, football's effect on those figures, from my view, is neutral. It's not causing it. It's not making it less. And I'm yet to see any convincing scientific evidence put in front of me that fans shouldn't be allowed into football grounds. Uh, 
people will say it's not about them when they're in the stadium. It's about the excess people that you're putting back into the community in pubs and the transport to and from games. My response to that is, okay, if that's the concern, those things can be regulated too. You can have staggered entry times into the games. You can close all the pubs around a football ground and block them off completely. So there's nothing that I have genuinely seen put forward by government scientific advisors or the government themselves that shows to me that football or rugby or any of those sort of spectator sports uh, has, you know, is a, is a threat to the rise in, in, in coronavirus figures. And yet again, I, I sort of think it is a snobbery towards sport. And that's The Leader. You can keep up with all the latest developments with The Evening Standard's live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. <laughs>